On today's episode, Dave interviews improviser E.J. Scott. E.J. has performed at I.O. West and has studied at Second City in the Groundlings. E.J. is battling Kurori Durima, a disease that has slowly taken his vision away. He is the subject of Running Blind, a documentary capturing his journey of completing 12 marathons in 12 months, blindfolded to bring attention to those who are afflicted with CHM. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Born and raised Long Island, New York. I thought so, right. And uh, moved out to Los Angeles in 2003. Mm-hmm. And then spent five years here, then moved to Chicago right. in 2008, then moved back here two years ago in 2011. Yeah, what a fucking awesome life. <laughs> it really is. I mean, like all, like it's, all the... It's a confusing one. It is a confusing it's, one. It's mostly me just trying to figure life out. But but you're not trying to figure life out. You don't think so? No. I don't think but here's the thing. I don't think I think that I don't think that you're trying to figure life out. I think you're living your life. Okay. You understand? Sure. Because if you were trying to figure your life out, you would be in bed with the sheets pulled over your head. Mm -hmm. Okay. I get what you're saying. Like I'd be hiding in the cracks and Right. Right. And trying to figure it out. Right. And you haven't done that. That sounds I'd be scared of scared of it. Right. I'd be scared of figuring it out. <laughs> right. You know, instead of, I, I, I'm trying to just... But you're not trying. you got to stop saying you're trying. Try, well... You know I, what I mean? Yeah. Because what is trying? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like. And I, you know, I mentioned this before where you go... Or If I was, was going to say to you, all right, get up there on stage, and what I want you to do is cook. You cook. Get up there on stage, and I want you to search. And you'd search. Get up on stage and try. Try what? Well, you know that's that was that's my whole philosophy of last year. What I what I was doing was was trying trying something, and I I do encourage the the philosophy of try. Tell me what that is. Because there is there is do right. There and is then, doing. Then then there's doing nothing. What's doing nothing? Are you really doing nothing? A lot of people just do nothing. Like uh, in terms of like what I was trying to do last year of raising money and awareness for the foundation. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. You did raise money. Yes. And but, awareness. But there's a lot of people that don't try. They don't try what? They don't try to raise money. They don't talk about going blind or uh, try to raise money or raise awareness. They don't, they don't try. They don't know what to do. So they, so they don't do anything. What so are they my, doing instead? I don't know. Right. They're doing something else. They're doing something else, but... They're not doing nothing. They're doing something else. They're doing I'm something getting else. very philosophical. I you know. You're, 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 you're doing it. You're doing it. You I, are doing it. I am doing it. You're, being I, phil- you're not trying to be philosophical. You're doing <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm being philosophical on this because if you're not doing something, you're doing something else. Sure. And what you decided to do was something. Right. And that's but something- at first, it was... I'm gonna try it because I'm gonna do it. If if I if I can try it, I can at least get to doing it. Okay. <laughs> do you okay. understand? I, I open up that path to doing it. Right. By trying. By, no, you open up the path to doing it by doing it. Right. But if I hurt myself last year, let's say right. race six, I break my leg. Right. I'm out. Right. I tried to do twelve. I wanted to. Uh, you set out to do twelve. I set out to do twelve, and right. then and then something happened, and I no longer did. You no longer did what? Twelve marathons. Wait. That, if but if if oh that if had you happened, didn't do it if, if you if you if you had gotten injured you would got it got <laughs> yeah. it got it got it but still you 
Yes, you set out a goal. You would have set out a goal and not have not have reached that goal. Right. Like we were talking about Kickstarter, where you set out a goal and you don't reach that goal. But with Kickstarter, you're fucked. But you with what be. you did was you still raised awareness, but you didn't raise the awareness or the money at the level that was your goal. Uh, not exactly. The money, money wise, I I did. I'm saying because if you weren't successful, if I wasn't successful, right. Right. All right. Is everyone listening, paying attention? You got to pay attention. If people are listening, they're paying attention. And if they're not are paying they, attention... Are they trying to figure out what we're doing or are they actually following it? I'm thinking they're actually following it. Some people aren't actually following it because they're doing something else. They're doing something they're doing, else. What they're doing right now is they're, 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 they're I don't know, they're, they're thinking about something else. They're yeah. going somewhere else. But it's the focus of all of that. That helps us. It's it's that that focus of uh, what is it that I'm what is it that I'm doing, and I've got to be conscious of the fact that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The focus and you. It's interesting because we're talking about vision here in a way, or talking about focus in a way, but we're talking about vision and focus in two separate in in, in a philosophical way yeah. and in a literal way. Yeah, you know. So because of vision and is all about vision and focus. Mm-hmm. You know, but you didn't lose your focus. Um, I guess I guess not. It felt uh at times it felt like I did. Um but I had to I had to like really focus on. It. I had to kind of stop doing things in order to focus on it. I couldn't think about the next race. I had to think about the race I was doing. Right. You know, I I couldn't I couldn't think too far ahead because it would stress me out. Right, but that's true of life. It's true of life, I guess. Isn't but, it? Uh, well, yeah, some people have their five-year plans. You know, Does it work out for them? Years? I don't know. I don't Maybe. think so. Don't I don't think, think so? it ever looks like what it is. I don't think it ever ends up looking like what it is that they wanted it to yeah. be. I've never did, really... did, so when you set out to do these 12 races, yeah. did the ending look as if you wanted it to be? Do you understand? When what, I finished... When you finished, when you did them all, it, when, when you started, you had an expectation, or maybe you didn't have an expectation, you just wanted to finish it. But was that expectation, that 12th, the end of that 12th marathon that you ran blind, was that, was, did that look like what you thought it was going to look like? More or less, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Mm-hmm. It felt really good. I, I had my best time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, for the last one, I was, it was at, mostly at night, so I was able to do it not blind I, I took my blindfold off around Ugh. mile seven or eight and was able to see for the first time ever run a race without a on the 12th one on the 12th one with with sight <laughs> right um because the other ones are all during the day and i can't run during the day mm-hmm. uh without a blindfold so, right and a guide and a guide did you have a guide at the 12th race uh-huh. Uh-huh. i had a guide there he we were together the first several miles until i took my blindfold off then he was usually close by uh-huh. Just to keep an eye on me and, right. and stay close. Did but you fall? I tripped a few times. I bumped into a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, punched one guy in the face accidentally, but that was his fault. <laughs> he he ran. He cut across the the marathon. He cut across the whole from one end, from one side to the other side. You're not supposed to do that. Um, and I didn't see him, so he was right at the right height where I was run, you know, With running your fists in, my in fists, a running position, <laughs> and I clocked him right in the face. So he ran into your fist. <laughs> he ran into my. Fist. He ran into your fist. It's his you fault. Did, yeah, yeah. I should I sue him for hurting my my knuckle. <laughs> there goes your knuckle modeling career. <laughs> right. Total knuckle knuckle modeling career. But you're saying that, and and this is interesting to me because I, I I'm always, always I, I talk about 
people having expectations and the expectations never look like what it is that they think of at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So for me... Well, things happen they're not expecting. Exactly. And what, and that's why very often when you have expectations, those of us, I mean, certainly in your life, the, the, um, the, flu the fluidity that we have to have in order for us to keep moving forward means that we've got to surrender that, uh, surrender some of that, those expectations and to know that it's not going to look like what we thought it was going to look yeah, like. Yeah, it's good to be a little flexible. To be very flexible. Yeah. I don't know how you'd be a little flexible. Uh, you know. You know? Be flexible. Right? Go with the flow a little bit. But you've done that, you've done that a lot. I've done that a lot. I feel like I've done that a lot. You have done that a lot. You have done a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then what also ends up happening is because, and I think a major part of this is, uh, your girlfriend's Deborah, right? It's yes. not Deborah Ann. That just has Deborah's middle name. But you're she, a party. Yeah, she sometimes she likes Deborah Ann. Uh -huh. If she introduces herself to a new person, she'll call herself Deborah Ann. She has been. It's this also this thing about the support. God damn it, the support that we that we have around us. Yeah, and how oh, we yeah, could yeah. never do it. Oh yeah, I, I I wouldn't have done what I did last year without her support. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a hundred percent. Finding somebody, or rather, opening yourself up toward that. You had a lot of surrendering to, to do in order to let, to make people help you though. Yeah, I'm. I'm not afraid to ask for help. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are feel weird about that type of thing, but mm -hmm. you know, nothing. Very little gets. I feel like um, if I don't open my mouth and ask for help, then very little gets accomplished. And I did that for after I. I'm 2003, the same year I moved out to LA. I found out I was going blind. Mm -hmm. My brother found out. You know, it was a whole family thing. We all got tested at the same time. It was March 2003. And I kept my mouth shut for about a year or so, maybe. Um, you kept your mouth shut about what was happening to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um, except, except for my really close friends, I told. But, mm -hmm. um, uh, but once I moved out to LA, I didn't really open up to very many people about it until I started doing fundraisers. My sister got pregnant, and uh, I knew that if it was a boy, he would probably have choroideremia which is what I have right. and uh, and that really set my motors running and then so that was, was just an, an an, a moment of inspiration mm. but also a moment of surrender mm -hmm. yeah I, re I did my first fundraiser at IO West in 2000 like June July 2003 mm -hmm. and I didn't talk about why I was doing it. I just talked about choroideremia. I remember, I remember all that. Were you there? Yeah. You, you think, oh, I think I, you were there. Yeah. Um, and I didn't talk about it. And then after, afterwards, people would ask me like why I was involved in this and I would tell them like at the bar or something. Right. And uh, somebody, I think it was Sarah Pachacki. Remember her? Yes, yeah, sure. I, I remember think, Sarah. I think she's the one that actually said you should talk about it on stage. Wow, 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 and, wow, wow. And then I started doing that, and that really opened up a whole new, whole new stuff. Because now I was telling, you know, a hundred people at a at a time, um, and then people would come up to me afterwards and say, "Oh, my grandfather has it," or "I have this other thing," or you know, lots of people were opening up to me now and confessing things to me about themselves or. <laughs> friends or family it was crazy right you became a model because you opened yourself because you, you in a way I know in a way you were people were looking at you as, as we'll use this word fearless at that moment you had nothing to fear maybe but it, it doesn't feel that fearless when you're doing it uh, it, it I, I'm when it comes to the, the choroideremia stuff I, I always feel a little 
afraid of it and that's my that's also my motivation for opening up about it is because i'm afraid of it and i hate it you know right it's um, driving you though and it's a dry it's driving me yeah right I still get on Facebook or, you know, I used to be on MySpace, but uh, Facebook, I get people all around the world contacting me and mm-hmm. and saying my bro, you know, like, my, I'll get some mothers sometimes saying my kid has it and, and he's real depressed and stuff. And so what do you tell that lady? I go, get him into therapy. I'm in therapy. I'm in, I've been going to therapy several years now and right. I think it's very helpful and I don't think there's any shame, shame to it. So again, it's about that looking for, asking for help thing, but most of the time I don't even talk about choroideremia in, in the therapy, but it helps right. with if other aspects of your life are easier, it makes what's going on with the choroideremia easier. Right. You know, if everything's hard, it's just going to make the choroideremia that much harder to deal with. Right. So I always say, you know, try to have, try to have an open try discussion, have, try like a, have an as, open a, discussion. as a family, right. try to be open with it. But a lot of times it doesn't sound like they have that. It sounds like the, Uncles are quiet, you know, and everybody's kind of hush hush around. So, what do you think is the reason that everybody's hush hush? <sighs> Just, I guess, fear. I guess. Yeah, right. And, um, right. Shame, maybe shame. I don't know. Well, it's, it's fear and also it's embarrassment, the idea that, right? Of what? Of needing help or going blind or I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I did. I did keep quiet myself because I was still processing. Mm-hmm. For that first year, I was like, "What does all this mean?" And I was like, "I think my eyes are okay." And, uh, but once I started thinking about it, it made a lot of sense of certain things in my past where I would bump into something or not see something. I was like, Oh, I just filled in those gaps of why, why didn't, why didn't that work? Right. Why, why did I do that? And now it, Oh, cause I'm losing my eyesight. Right. Okay. Now I get it. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what I wish. I wish people, more people would, uh, would, uh, open up. It's fear, though. It is the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And I think it's probably passed on, you know. What's like, passed on? Uh, silence and fear. Right. I think it's... What's the quote that you have about silence that's at the top um, of your website? Uh, the worst thing for a cause is silence. Right. And um, and that's true. I mean, if if everybody kept quiet about Parkinson's disease, then nobody would know about it. And right. Nobody would be raising money for it. Well, you look at your grandparents, who I read in that that Glamour article. I think that's what it was. That they they faked it. Right. Yeah, yeah. My grandparents on my mom's side. So my grandfather was blind. My mom's father, and um, uh, when they were kids, from what my my uncle and my mom told me, when they were kids, uh, they were told that my grandfather got in a hunting accident or something and that's oh. why he was losing his sight right uh which i was like what that doesn't make any sense and then eventually my we found out that my grandparents thought it was rp retinitis pigmentosa which is different it's got similar symptoms to choroideremia mm-hmm. but it's it's different it doesn't necessarily get passed along right so they didn't really tell their kids bad because they thought oh maybe it'll just skip Right. Uh, and then when my mom and my uncle started having kids, um, my uncle approached, they were, they were having kids separately. That sounds incestual if they were, no. But uh, uh, approached my grandparents and said, is there a chance that we could pass this on? And my grandparents said, yes, there is a chance. Mm-hmm. And my my uncle tested his kids every two years, but he was fine. He didn't. He's he's a male. He didn't carry it. So my mom carried it, and my aunt carried it. She's a carrier too. My aunt never had kids though. Um, 
But uh, did she not have kids because she carried it? No, she didn't know that she was carrying it until two thousand three. Got it. Um, but she married a guy that already had kids, and so she right. had kids. Right, that wasn't um, an issue. So then my mom had three kids, me and my brother and my sister. My sister's a carrier and my, me and my brother have it. Right. And then my sister has two boys uh, and they both have it. My God. I know. And it'll just keep going this way. Right. And, you know, my, my parents never really talked about the possibility of this, this being passed on or anything. Not right. until 2003. And the, the only reason we found out in 2003 was because my brother was getting these really bad migraines, mm-hmm. and so they he went through like a whole battery of different types of tests and CAT scans and whatever um, to find out why. And uh, one one was a, an eye doctor saw his eyes and said something's going on in his eye. He should be checked out, and he got another exam, and then and then further testing showed it was chorioremia, mm-hmm. and then we all get tested, and that was that. And then a couple months later, I moved to LA man alive it's like like to have that in your family and and, and but you what you're doing is you're you're doing this awesome thing of talking about it and talking about it is such you know it's just such a great thing well i've never heard of it I, when i was told i have chorioremia i did i ne- never heard of it and uh that was scary to be told you have something you've never heard of right. i've heard of blindness and you know i'd see my grandfather every christmas or whatever and and see him as a blind man, but I never, uh, never heard of chorioremia specifically, and that, mm-hmm. that was strange. I couldn't even say it. Like for the first few weeks, I didn't even really bother saying it because it was such a tongue twister, you know. Right. It seems to me that it's just so important to to say it and to have it in your mouth and to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you don't, um, if you there's certain things in my life like the word I'm in therapy and I've been Mm -hmm. in therapy for many years and I remember when I was having um, a difficult time with my marriage Mm -hmm. I don't know if I knew you back then yeah you were married yeah when I met you yeah Yeah, a difficult time in my marriage and my therapist came to a point where he said "Um, we have to use this word get this word in your mouth divorce Mm. because once you get that word in your mouth you start it, it becomes once you get that word in your mouth it becomes real yeah you have to vocalize it or something. You have to vocalize it. It's like it. admitting you're an alcoholic or something. Yeah. Well, it's also it also goes back to the word trying. Right. Because that that word has a certain that word has 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 a weight to it. Mm-hmm. It's like adding adding words that are failure words. Like I I don't know that I can do that. It's right. Like, what do you mean you don't know that you can do that? Have you have you have you even engaged in and I use this word trying to do it? Right. Yeah. Because you are going to be surprised. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you don't know what you're going to like unless you... I didn't know I would like improv until I tried it, you know. And here's the thing about the improv. Didn't it change... Didn't it affect how, what it is that you're doing right now? Yeah, it affected my whole life. It changed my life. Improv literally changed my, my whole life and and uh, what I'm doing. And how I carried myself. It gave me a lot of confidence mm-hmm. because I was a really shy, introverted person and kid and... Um, I didn't I didn't know much about you know, I, I loved comedy but I didn't know if I'd be any good at it or mm-hmm. anything you know and then then I had you for level two right at iOS West in 2003 right. and that was it <laughs> changed my life <laughs> and the great thing about all that like everything that we're talking about right now is it isn't just about you being a shy person and getting past that it's also about you being mal mal malleable 
malleable is that the word sure I you know that's well, a word, I think. yeah 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 <laughs> about like right now the journey that you're on and stepping up to the plate and um, getting your point of view across and strongly getting your point of view across which is so vital in in who in what in in one of the things that you're doing right now yeah yeah and it doesn't it doesn't go away once you have that it's not going to go away yeah probably right yeah the uh, the fact that right now I think one of the things that you didn't expect is that you've become a you become a counselor to people mm. yeah a little bit well, I, people, I, I was not expecting that sure. no and when you talk to these people what's the feeling that you have do you feel like I have nothing to say to them or who am I to tell you that or do you say I, or, do you, or, or what I, I say this was what works for me you know I didn't when this happened to me I didn't have many people to ask advice myself I had to kind of figure it out mm -hmm. on my own um, but I, I you know I, I say therapy I say do fundraise you know doing the fundraisers and doing the proactive stuff makes me feel good in what way uh, that I'm that I'm part of the solution, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm, that I'm, if I, if there's a cure, I earned it, <laughs> you know, something like that. Right. But, um, not to say if nobody ever does anything, there's a cure that they don't deserve it. But, um, but for me, it feels like, all right, I, I, I earned this, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just makes me feel better mm -hmm. to do all that stuff. What did the, why the marathon? I'm Ma sure you've answered a lot of these questions. In no, no, yeah, it's fine. Um, it's funny. I, I think one. I never thought I'd do a marathon mm -hmm. in my life. So the idea of doing something, I never w wanted to do mm -hmm. or, or uh, expected to do. Um, when I was, I was not a big exerciser. I smoked cigarettes for fifteen years. <laughs> when I met you, I was a smoker. Yeah, I think when I met you, I was a smoker um, too. And when I moved to LA, even especially. Uh, hanging out at the iOS at the bar, watching improv shows, drinking beer. I put on a lot of weight. Right. I put on a lot of weight. And I, I was up to almost 270 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, what are you at now? I'm at two, between 215 and 220. And it's all from running or is it from also eating better? I got to eat better. You have to eat better. And um, But I lost 70 pounds. I was down to under 200. I remember that. I remember skinny EJ. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> couple. Uh, I didn't recognize two you. Ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's also you look at somebody and go, what? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but that was, you know, but the foundation was, you know, motivating in terms of, all right, I, I need to lose weight. I have no idea how to do it. It seems impossible. It seems like it's a mountain, I, I, I can't climb. And my girlfriend was like, what if you were like bribed? What if you, somebody bribed you to lose weight? And I was like, I don't know if I could ask for money to lose weight for myself. But what if I asked? For the foundation, what if I asked for for a charity thing? Right. That changed my whole outlook on it, and I started losing weight and asking for donations to be sponsored per pound. Mm -hmm. I lost seventy pounds. I raised fourteen thousand dollars. Wow. And once that had happened, I wanted to keep keep it. I didn't want to gain that weight back. Right. So that's where the marathon came in. I knew, I had met this guy who had cordyremia and ran a bunch of marathons. Um, without a guide, he did it sighted, but he didn't have very, very much sight. But he was a, an athlete. He was a really strong runner. 
Um, so I thought, well, he did a, he's done a bunch of marathons. Maybe I'll start doing a marathon or something. So in Chicago, I was living in Chicago at the time all this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, all right, let me, let me, all right. So the next Chicago marathon is October and it was like January. I had nine or 10 months to train. I thought that would be good. I looked up online how long it would take to train for a marathon. It's about 18 weeks. I said, great. This is like almost twice that much time. So, I'll, cause I'm so new to all this, I'll need the extra time. Right. Um, and I, I joined the gym right around the corner from me in Where Andersonville. I lived in Andersonville. Where? Uh, right on Ashland. And what? And just north of Foster. What street? Ashland. I mean, what, what's the street north of Foster? Because uh, I lived at, I lived at Rasher and Ashland for nine years. I can't think of it now. My, my, have you ever been to Kopi Cafe? Right. Oh, yeah, your friend. You did, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, right yeah, around right. there. Right, right. So you lived right around the corner. From right around the corner from there. Okay, good, good, good. And uh, there was a cheetah gym there. Yes. And so I worked out at that cheetah gym. Right. That was a cool gym. That's yeah. a cool gym. It's a good good little gym. Right. Um, a little pricey, but uh, right. it was good that it was around the corner for me because I knew I couldn't do outdoor training because of my eyes and the sun will make me go blind faster. Right. And it's also super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just regular uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable, like stinging. Right. Uh, Ooh, migraines type well, of uncomfortable. Well, the fact that you've got to wear two pairs of sunglasses. I started a few months ago wearing two pairs, yeah. Right. Yeah, I wear one uh, that's kind of hugs my face and then one fit overs to, for over that when, when it's really bright and I have to walk somewhere. So, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, so anyway, so I started uh, uh, by yourself. You by, did myself, by yourself, did all this training by mm-hmm. myself, and then I did two half marathons leading up to the full marathon in Chicago, um, as because I didn't know what it was going to be like right. to run blindfolded, to run with a guide, to run. So how did you find your guide? Uh, there, I had oh, I had my cousin Ryan. My cousin Ryan's a a really good runner, and he ran my very first. Does half he have? It's CMH, is that? CHM. CHM. Uh, no, he's fine. His father was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he ran the first half one with me. He lives in New York, so I, I brought him out to uh, Chicago. And mm-hmm. then the second one, the second one, uh, there was like a local guy I had just met. His name is Nick, and he he's a great runner. And so he did the second half with me. Mm-hmm. And then... The full one was on October 10th, 2010, and it was 10 10 10. Uh-huh. They were advertising it 10 10 10. Right. And I had my two cousins run it with me. Uh, my cousin in law, Janelle, who ran two marathons with me last year, and my cousin, Jenny, Jennifer, who ran another two marathons with me last year. So mm-hmm. they were both my guides for the full in, in Chicago. And then after, so I was able to get in the newspaper, in the Tribune, uh, on CBS out there in Chicago and like on a blog or something or a radio spot or something. How did you get people to, to get people connected to the media? How did I get, what? You know, how did you get, I know it's a lot of how did you get, <laughs> um, how did, how did, you, how did the media know about what you're doing? How I wrote, I started writing to people. Uh, I would just go to like, you know, I would Google new Chicago news mm-hmm. and I would just start By saying contact what? numbers and saying, I'm, I have, I'm EJ Scott, I have this, and I'm doing this, and if you'd like to talk to me, I'd like to talk Look to at you. how goddamn, like, that's fucking awesome. Like, the idea that you, because a lot of people would say, well, um, 
that's not, I I need to be humble or I need to let the world come. But you were being being very proactive. You were getting out there and you didn't see, and it wasn't like, you didn't see anything wrong with it. You know what I mean? No, 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 I needed, I needed them. You needed them. But you, not only did you need them, but you reached out to them as opposed to, I hope they come over and I I hope they find out what's going on. I didn't know what to, how to contact people and then I just started contacting people contacting people right just kind of in an obvious way I mean it would take a long time to write all these emails and the the amount of feedback is very minimal but at least there's something right and uh, once once I finished Chicago I started thinking about why I was able to get some publicity here in Chicago for one marathon that's pretty good and people were responding to seeing me on TV or reading about me in the Tribune or something (laughs) and uh, I was like wow what if I could what if I did twelve like in two thousand twelve? Twelve, twelve, twelve. Right. If I could do that, that that I could get twi- twelve times the publicity. Um and that could be twelve times twelve times the money. Right. And you know if, at least twelve times. At the least. Money. And, and if if it worked, if I could if I could do it. Right. And I was like, Oh shit. Did you ever think crazy. you couldn't do it? Yes. I I did. I was like, That's that sounds crazy. But after the Chicago marathon, I didn't feel that bad. I thought I was gonna feel a lot worse. Physically. Uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't the problem, really. The physically, physical stuff, what I learned last year, isn't necessarily the problem. It's the mental stuff that was really twice, it was twice as hard. It was right. the mental. The mental stuff saying, like what? Saying the what? logistics of it, the traveling, the mm-hmm. pressure, the stress. Right. The did fear. You do, did you do this, the what? The fear. The fear. Of all the marathon, you know, like fear of getting hurt. Right. And my, you know, I'd never knew I could get hurt at any time. Right. And well, you can get hurt like, walking down the street. I get hurt walking down the street, <laughs> and then being blindfolded, running twenty six miles. Right. Once a month, that added a lot of extra, extra uh, risk to it. Right. Right. Of course, because you're blind. Yeah. <laughs> um, the fear, the fear, like all those things that you described, and then you called it the fear. Because that the fear is in all those other things, mm-hmm. but you also said something at the beginning of our conversation, which is if you got too far mentally ahead of yourself, mm-hmm. that's when the fear kicks in. Even more fear kicks in, right? Because it's like I can't even. Because people would write me and go, "What about you know, in three months from now?" Blah blah blah. I'm like, I I don't know what you're saying. I can't understand <laughs> what your, your words. I don't know what you're saying. Please, I can't think about that right now. I have to do this, and then to make it things. Worse, I, I decided to do uh, improv fundraisers at all the different cities, which I didn't get all the different cities, but I got about maybe eight of them or so, mm-hmm. six, six or eight of them. And so that meant planning fundraisers. All by yourself? All by myself. Pretty much. I mean, uh, some of the, some of the uh, teams and, and theaters in these places helped a lot. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm doing this thing. I would love to do a fundraiser there. I'd love to play with your team or put on a show of my own or whatever. And uh, and a lot of them were really, really, really helpful. Right. And uh, you just kept saying, you just, you just, you just kept saying yes. You just yeah. kept saying yes to your own ideas. Yes, and You're right, of course. But it's it's all that the acceptance that that is going to happen. The idea that and here's here's another thing. It's the difference between hope and faith. You had faith that this was going to work out. It's not that you hoped it was going it, to work out. I had more, I, I, maybe, but I it felt like I had more hope than faith. But if you just had hope, you would be a victim to it. Your faith was, I'm going to make this phone call, and it's, it's, I'm going to, something's going to happen. I had to say, I'm doing it. Right. 
even if there was a tiny voice in my said voice in my head that said, "But what if someone fucking thing?" And I was like, "Fuck you! I can't, I can't listen to you right now." So I'm telling everybody I'm doing it. It's happening because right. I had my own family tell me. But this me, is hope, though. That's faith. May, maybe because the hope is going. I hope I win the lottery. Faith is saying. Yeah, I hope I do that too. Right. I hope I do that. But but you know you can't say I have faith that I'm going to win the lottery. Yeah. That's a victim. That's a numbers thing. You know. Yeah. The other thing is you are being proactive and getting the fuck out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it. But it's all those it. things of saying of getting on the phone and talking to people and emails and, and right hours of sitting at the computer just typing, but just sending emails into the ether and just hoping somebody contacts me back and someone and having faith that someone's going to contact you back because you just sent it out into the ether and the ether is going to take care of it. That's right. You didn't know that Deborah was going to come into your life. No, I did not. Actually, I had planned on moving to Chicago when we met. I had already met, made my decision to move to Chicago. That was it. I was done with L.A. because I moved to L.A. to be an actor. Right. And my eyes were getting worse. And I had to stop driving. Right. And I was hanging out at I.O. West, which is Chicago-centric. And so I heard, I heard nothing but good things about Chicago for five years. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to move to Chicago. And I visited once or twice for a little visits, and I was like, this is a pretty great city. Right. And the transportation's great, it's a lot cheaper. Right. There's improv all over the place. I, could st I don't have to act, but I could keep improvising. Right. And uh, it all made sense to move out there right. at the time. So, and then I was online, I was on Match.com for a year and a half. Did you go on many dates? I went on a ton of dates. Most uh -huh. of them were at I.O. West. Because uh, I, I would just tell people to meet me at I.O. West or something, which is where Deborah met me. Uh -huh. I had my first show. Well, that I mean, not my first show, but she saw me in a show before we even met. I said, I have a show. I'm filling in on DHT. Uh -huh. a team called DHT. Sure, it was around Christmas, so they were short. And I was... Uh, I was like, if you're coming, don't tell me you're coming. We'll just meet afterwards because I don't want to get like all nervous and do a bad show in front of That's embarrassing. But um, I had a good show. I think it was a good show. And then she was there and she saw it. And so I was, I was, I was like, oh, good. I'm glad she saw that. Right. Was, uh, right. And then we went to the bar and we talked for a couple hours. And, and then we saw each other again a few days later. And that was it. Right. Yeah. You came to L.A. to be an actor but you got so much more. I guess, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I, she's from New York, too. She's from Brooklyn, and I'm from Long Island, and we moved out in the same summer. Um, she moved out to go to USC. Mm -hmm. I moved out to try my hand at acting and right. get into improv. I had read the... Uh, I, when I, before I moved, the decision to move to L.A., I was living on Long Island, working at the IRS in Holtzville, New York. Mm -hmm. uh, horrible, horrible job. <laughs> Nighttime clerk. That was my job for a year and a half. At the IRS? At the IRS. What does the nighttime clerk do? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I, I did... I, I what I do I, I sent out a lot of forms to people and stuff bullshit like that it was a horrible job but I would get my work done quickly and then I would read or uh -huh. I would listen to Howard Stern or something right. and uh, one of the books I read was the uh, Saturday Night Live book by Tom Shales right. I'm sure you probably read it Yeah, it's a great book it's yeah. a great read really great and read. Uh, they kept talking about improv in it 
and the Groundlings and Second City and IO. I didn't know what IO was. I thought IO was more like uh, comedy sports or something. Right. Um, well, it does have Olympics in it. Olympics, yeah. Right. So I was a little confused by it. Um, so I was I was deciding between Chicago and LA, right. and then I decided Groundlings was out in LA. Will Ferrell was my hero at the right. time. Uh, all right, let me try the Groundlings. And plus, I'll be in L.A., so I can. there's more opportunity for acting stuff there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what really motivated me to move to L.A. I, it, our journeys are, again, the expectation of what it was going to be isn't at all what it is that it happened. No. And you could not, and I know that in given circumstances, you could not have asked for this to work out any better. It worked out very well. It's Especially like, just by coincidence, the first place I lived in LA was around the corner from IO, and I I was not planning on taking classes at IO, and I was just walking around and I saw the theater and I saw, you know, some articles hanging up in the windows or something and long form improv. I was like, I don't know really what that is, and you know, I, I took Groundlings classes, I took Second City classes, mm-hmm. and I was taking IO classes all at the same time, and the long form just changed my whole view on all of it it was so different it was it wasn't games right it was uh you know it wasn't short for i loved whose line is it anyway i Mm -hmm. loved that show and uh that was a big uh inspiration to me to improvise and uh this was just so different right it was a play it was it was like a one-act play or a it was just so so interesting there were stories and and what did it allow the actor to do I mean, what did you get out of it that you didn't get out of, say, the Groundlings or Second City? I mean, there's. I think it's more of an actor's medium, right. the long form as opposed to the short form. Short form is great for sketch comedy and um, stuff like that, which is great. I love Saturday Night Live and I love characters. And um, but if as far as like feeling, you could have feelings and relationships and uh, for more than thirty seconds, right? Um, and really explore you could do a lot more exploring of a character in, mm-hmm. in it and i even prefer the herald the herald's great but you you're maybe a character in a herald a 30 minute herald for maybe five minutes maybe you know minutes. maybe five maybe minutes, five in, minutes. In, in those 30 minutes right what i like doing and some of the shows that really uh inspired me more were like dasarisky you know right. the, the longer stuff that i remember that a show a Dasarisky show they were at the, the same characters at the same spot for 50 minutes right and it, I nearly exploded with joy <laughs> it was so amazing but what goes into that whole thing is the idea of this is going to work out yeah we are going to we are going to be able to make this work out because if we don't do that if we don't come in if we if we come in saying oh I really hope that I can do this I really hope that we can keep sustaining yeah. it, sustaining it then that little voice that you that little voice that you were talking about earlier saying why are you doing this what if something happens yeah. that you ignore that's what I call the ego the ego is saying you can't do it but when you are working and the ego comes in you go I'm not going to listen to you I'm going to I still have 45 minutes of this show to do yeah. Yeah. and in order for me to be here right now I've got to be present with you right now for actors I think you, you have to um, pretend everything's fine even you know even if even if there is that little thing going it's not going to be so shut up it's fine it's fine, it's fine. shut up it's fine shut up. but that's true of your life as well yeah like at any point you can, you can say like right now you could you and I could worry about 
you know, certainly nine things right now, mm-hmm. but we're not. What we're deciding we'll to do We'll call is our that. therapist, bring them on over. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, right now, I don't know about you, but aren't, isn't your therapy now more about maintenance than it is figuring shit out? Yeah, yeah, It's. I would say so, yeah. I mean, I, I talk about, see, I'm the only one in my family that's in therapy that I'm aware of. Right. So I talk a lot about my family. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll talk about my relationship with Deborah, mm-hmm. if there's a rocky... Uh, spot or mm-hmm. or uh, half I mean now but you're right maintenance was I'll go in there and I'll talk about just what's going on this week or right. and then maybe something will come up that's a good thing or a bad thing I don't even know what's going to come up well it's like a herald mm-hmm. it's, it, it is that thing of going I'm accepting the conversation that we're having right now it doesn't have to be anything and when we when I went to therapy with the idea of oh it's going to be this or it's going to be this it's going to yeah. be this yeah. I found myself like fighting to go to my truth Right, right. Well, for in the first several weeks or months for my therapy, it was like I I had all this stuff built up. Right. And uh, and it was just me regurgitating. I was like, finally, blah. <laughs> my first therapy session in Chicago, I was going to the Lighthouse for the Blind, and I had free therapy there, and and. And I just cried for two hours to this therapist for two hours, just straight boom. You had a therapy, you had a session for two hours. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be one hour. Wow. And the guy just let me cry and get my shit out. Look at that angel. Yeah. Oh, he's a great guy. And um, and so I saw him the whole, pretty much the whole time I was in like two years or something in mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. I saw him for two until I moved. When you go to these places like Lighthouse for the Blind, which is an amazing place. Uh, that we'd always hear about it, it, living in Chicago. Did you did you go there and look at people and go, I'm I'm not that person. Like look at the people that are coming and the clients that were coming to that. Did you was there a period where you had to go? This is uh, these are my people. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, and and I mean, and I am. I'm I'm going blind, but and I've heard a lot of times you don't look blind. Right. <laughs> and I go, all right, all right. I'll, Thanks, I guess. I don't know. But, um, uh, well, fuck you. I do too. <laughs> what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to say? So I don't know. I'm like, okay. But I mean, at the at Lighthouse for the Blind, there were people that were blind that had a lot of other things going on too. You right. Know, they they, they were, had multiple things going on. So right. in a lot of ways, I consider myself lucky that I only have this one thing right now. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that I won't have other things wrong with but me. But who's in the future. to say, uh, we could say that anybody, any of us can say that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I also I go gonna go back to the support that that Deborah gives you. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, like all the the people that are around me that are supporting me, that are helping me have a better life, not financially or they're giving me pillows, but just go good for you. I know what you're going through. I'm hearing you right now. Yeah. And and what she's done, certainly in that glamour article, which is just such a beautiful article. Yeah. Um, what she's done is there's an honesty. There's a truth that she's accepted. There's mm-hmm. a surrendering of expectations that she's had of what her life is going to be mm-hmm. and not a sacrifice at all, but just like, oh, this is a man that I love, that I feel connected to. Yeah. That that I what he's asking me to be is just me. And in my meanness, not meanness, my meanness, <laughs> I I can make this relationship just something great for all for all parties involved. Yeah. Yeah, and Jim she's at the point now where she can help get the word out even further right you know it's very nice that she's she's 
allowed me to really use her. Right. Um, but she's also giving. She's, she's also, giving a lot. She's giving. She's giving a lot. But she, I think that there's there's a Yiddish word. And it's nachis, and it means like a, like a like a, 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 a what, how much you're getting out of it. How Sounds much, like a dip. It, it's a, it's it's not like yeah that's nachos, which is what you have at the ball game. Oh okay. <laughs> but nachos is a joy that you get out of doing what it is that you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's a joy that, and there's a joy that she gets out of it. Yeah, I, I hope I hope so. I think so. Yeah. And she but she's been great. She's known about my you know on my profile for Match.com. Mm-hmm. I had my whole story on there of what was going on with me with croideremia, and I didn't have it on there. In the beginning, when I was, when I was uh, just signed up, mm-hmm. but then I would have like awkward moments on dates where it was like, I'm going blind, and they go what? And then that was that. <laughs> that was the end of them. Uh, right. So I just put it up there. My mom, I told my mom I put it up there. She she wanted me to take it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no, this is this is important. This is an important thing that people need to know before right. they go out with me. Um, it's not something you spring up on somebody, right? Um, and it worked out great because Deborah's the type of person. She's her heart is huge, and she's a kind person, and um, she was okay that she could look past that, you know, um, and look at. But she's not looking past it. She's looking deeply into. She's it. looking deeply into it. Yes, right. Even better. Right. Um, yeah, and we've had lots of discussions and conversations about. What the future might hold, mm-hmm. um, because us. you're being realistic. Yeah, because it really sounds like, again, with this article, and I'm going to link this this up to this interview. Oh. Um, the, the 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 fact about having babies, mm-hmm. having children, right? If it's a boy or if it's a girl, and how that matters in terms of like for other people that matters because you're going well. What are we going? How are we going to design the nursery? Right, right, right. And you're not doing that. Well, if it's a girl, she'll likely be a carrier. Right. If it's a boy, he'll be okay. Right. Um, I prefer a boy because I could do more boy stuff with him. (laughs) Just out of selfishness. I would love, you know, I would love any kid that we have, but uh, girls scare me generally. So uh, uh, I think it'd be uh, fun to have a a boy and have him read comic books and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, but there is that, that, all right, if she's a carrier then her kids will be carriers and have crateremia, just right. like my sister's kids. Right. Um, and that that's scary, but uh, it's not going to... I don't want that to stop me from having kids or anything, you know? But, and that's that's the beautiful thing about what I when I read that, was like, it's not stopping you. Yeah. And it's something that you're being... Like, there are facts. These are facts. And when you have a fact, you can deal with a fact. When you have a truth, you can deal with the truth. And the fact that your your grandfather wasn't truthful, because at that time, he couldn't be truthful. He had to call it a hunting accident. Yeah. Because they didn't know how to talk about it. No, back and, then, it's crazy. I watched, like, Mad Men. Right. And they, they, they give you a, just a piece of what it was like back then. People didn't talk about anything. No. It's crazy. But, but there are people now that aren't talking about anything. I know, I know. But, that, and, but that's also learned. That's passed down. Absolutely. But there's also you... And I, I and I think also you know this podcast and us talking about it, we are carriers of this beautiful thing called communication. Mm-hmm. We're carriers of that to say, listen, I'm going to tell you a truth right now because I've and not not that I'm a great person or I'm stronger, but it's like this is the way that I've decided to live my life yeah. in the truth. Yeah, and that's what you've decided to do. Yeah, and to have that, it just it's it's, and 
We learn that. Because the alternate, the alternate, the other way of thinking alternative. about it. The alternative, thank you. The alternative is so much harder. Yeah. Well, the alternative is not do anything and, and continue to pass that on. I, you know, I want, I would like, I said, I want to have kids. I want to be a good example for my kids. I want to teach them that being open and honest is a good thing and, and not to hide or be embarrassed or ashamed because something's hard. If something's hard, it's okay. You can deal with it. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, like have that faith or whatever. Um, it's going to, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. There's always some, there's always, somebody's got it worse out there. Um, just be grateful for what you got, I guess, you know. Um, that's great. Let's end there. Not end there? Yeah. Right. That was really good. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.